Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as it is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. We gather today around God's word because we love God's word. Because it's what instructs us, keeps us, holds us fast. And I love that phrase there. I open my mouth and pant. It's my longing, it's my desire, it's what I want. And how many people would say this? I open my mouth and pant because I long for what? In Psalm 119, this is verse 131, because I long for your commandments. Who says that? How many people walking on the street would say, "Mm, I want some more commandments? Yet how we long for and love God's commandments because they instruct us and because they give us God. Now that you've been settled, would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning from Exodus, the first 17 verses of chapter 20. As we continue our study in the book of Exodus, making our way through these 10 words, these 10 commandments. So let us read together Exodus 20, 1 through 17. When I get to verse 17, after I read that verse, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we might behold wonderful things out of your law. Teach us, work in us, to change us, and transform us into the likeness of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. you think of when you think of the word law? You think of rules? You think of limitations and restrictions? You think of punishment and judgment if you break the law? How often does that word law have so many negative connotations to so many people? Maybe the law would bring anxiety, worry, paranoia. Perhaps it should to those who are contemplating breaking the law or already are breaking the law. Do you ever think of law as a burden, drudgery, difficult? Or when you think of the law, maybe you think of a bunch of random hoops you have to jump through with no apparent reason or logic. It brings us to an important question, however. Why does God give us His law? Last week, as we started our time in the Ten Commandments, we saw that this law that God is giving, these Ten Commandments, these Ten Words that come from God Himself, are grounded in and rooted in grace. And so God reminds us first, He gives His gracious Word to us. That he himself is gracious in his person as the Lord our God. And that he is the one who has brought us out of the house of slavery. Brought us out of our sin and our misery. Brought us out of what enslaved us, dominated us. Made us miserable and separated us from God. And now here are these ten words given by God himself to the people who are gathered around the base of Mount Sinai. Why do these, why do these ten words form the basis for all of God's law? 
we would say that these ten words are the very heartbeat of God's law. Remember that these ten words are coming as words of relationship. God is establishing his covenant with his people. So God wants to live in relationship with his people. He wants to draw his people into his own heart. He wants to show them himself, who he is. Remember that a covenant is an oath-bound commitment. God making a commitment to his people. And his people making a commitment to him. And there are specific roles in this relationship, just like any relationship has specific roles. But this relationship, we have to recognize, is also different. This is not just like any other relationship. This is not the relationship between humans, although this relationship affects how humans relate to one another. No, this is something far greater. It is the establishment of a relationship between God and man between the immortal and the mortal, between the creator and the creature. And why does God give us these words? Because he's bored? Because he thinks we're bored? Because right after he's delivered them out of the house of slavery, because right after he's called them out of Egypt, he wants to plunge them back into more slavery? say, here are some rules that I'm going to give you now to make life more difficult for you. Is that why God does it? No, may it never be. God, again, gives these words to reveal himself. These words, before they ever get to who we are and what we are to do, they first and foremost tell us about God. They give us a knowledge about God, a knowledge that is meant to build up and fortify our faith in God. Not knowledge that is meant to encourage and strengthen His people. And while our world, and sometimes even maybe ourselves, if we're honest, would approach these ten words as something that enslaves people, that limits people, that restricts people. God gives these words to set people free. He has already set them free from the house of bondage that was Egypt, but now he is giving them further truth to show that while physical freedom is good, there is even a greater freedom a spiritual freedom that they need. A freedom of the heart. And that is something that only God can give. That's why his law is the law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. His commandments are not burdensome. And these words are meant to instruct us on what it means to live, to really live the life that God has designed us to live. Do we read these words as a burden or as something that would set us free? If we read them incorrectly, they are burdensome. 
if we read them in a self-centered way, we will be enslaved by them. If we read these as a way of salvation, it will weigh us down and we will never, never be free. The world would say, to have freedom, you have to know no limits, no reservations. You make all your own rules. I mean, that's what the world likes to tell us, isn't it? Do you remember the slogan from Burger King? This is a few years back. I think it was them, at least. You can have it your way. Like You make all the rules. How do you want it? You can have it that way. How dangerous and destructive are those thoughts? It's like me, if I were to grab a fish out of water and declaring, Ha! You're free, fish! I've rescued you from your watery confines, from your H2O prison that you were in. You are no longer held back, burdened to having to swim in water the rest of your life. You are free to do whatever you would like, whatever you please. The choice is yours. You get to make all the rules now, fish. But what happens to the fish? Lies on the ground for a few moments, mouth gaping open wide, flopping around until it finally dies. What was viewed as freedom is no freedom at all. Living outside of its design only led to its death. What do you think will happen if people live outside God's design for life. Where will it lead? And so we come to the first word. The first word in these ten words this morning. A first word that is very important because all other words will continue to build upon this word. That's why it comes first. The very first word asks us a simple question. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? As the creator, God created everything and designed everything to worship and specifically to worship Him. And I say, when I say everything, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not using hyperbole. I mean everything. Everything was originally created to worship Him. We are beings who are created to worship. There is something in us, in the way that God has made us, something where we will find a way to worship. We will ascribe worth and value to something. We will exalt and lift high something. We will say something is great and glorious. And what do we know? The chief end of man is to what? Is to glorify Him Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. From the very first word, this is the intended aim. Because if the first word, if the chief end, if the purpose and goal of mankind is not in its correct place, everything else will come tumbling down. And so we ask ourselves this morning, who do I worship? And we are told about Him who is worthy of our worship, the one true God. 
And since there is only one true God, how does this truth intersect with our lives? How then are we to live our lives if we know this truth that there is one true God? One God and only God. Three truths I want us to look at this morning that come from this first word, this simple word. You shall have no other gods before me. You can follow along in your outline if that's helpful in your bulletin. Number one, there is only one true God and he must have first place in your life. There is only one true God and he must have first place in your life. He must have first place in your life. Here is Yahweh again speaking to his people directly. He is speaking to them, yes, collectively, but he directs his speech to individuals. You see this here as we're focusing this morning on Exodus 20, verse 3, that very first word, you, that is a singular word, you, directly speaking to individuals. Maybe we could put our name there. Tyler, you shall have no other gods before me. And you think about it, if individuals have no other gods before them, what is that going to do for the community, for the nation? We have to start by reading this verse in light of the culture of the ancient Near East. This first word that Yahweh gives to his people is going to set the Israelites apart from everyone else in the ancient Near East. There was no nation around them, no people group around them who worshipped just one God. They all had many gods that they worshipped. In fact, you think about the Israelites, where they just come from. They just come out of Egypt. Egypt worshipped many gods. In fact, as we went through the plagues, some people say that each of those plagues was designed to attack all of their false gods. And so the Israelites had lived in that environment for many years. They had been exposed to it. They had experienced it firsthand. And according to the book of Ezekiel, they had even participated in it. Listen to what Ezekiel says. This is Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 5 through 11. Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things you feast your eyes on, every one of you, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the, the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which, if a person does them, 
he shall live. Did you hear it there? Did you hear the Lord say, I told them in Egypt, I came to them and I said, do not defile yourself with these false gods, with these idols. But it, what does it say? But they rebelled against me. They were not willing to listen to me. They did not forsake the idols. And then God in his grace, he still brings them out, doesn't he? He still brings them out, brings them into the wilderness, gives them his statutes, makes known to them his rules. We can see why God would make this his very first word. These people had already committed this sin. They were prone to committing this sin again. And let us not think that we are not so immune from doing the such, uh, such the same thing today. But let's be clear for a moment about what God is saying. God is not giving validity to other gods. He is not saying, you know, there are many gods out there and I'm just one of them, but I'm the only one to worship. God is not competing against other gods. That is why we say there is only one true God. And all other gods are false gods, are no gods, are so-called gods. In fact, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there, are, there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things exist and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There is only one true God, and this God is the uncreated God. He is the eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been. He always will be. He is the self-existent one the self-sustaining one, the completely independent one, the one who depends on nothing and does not need anything. And what does the one true God do with the very first word that he gives to his people? He goes right for their hearts. He goes straight to the heart of the Israelites, and so he goes straight to our hearts as well. That is where the following of this word must begin. It will lead to outward actions, but it doesn't start there. It must not start there. The first word reaches down into our very inner beings, into who we are before this one true God and into our hearts. And so what is the Lord calling our hearts to? What is he saying to our hearts? He is calling our hearts to devotion. To allegiance to him and to him alone. God is demanding to have first place in your life. He is calling you to loyalty. He's demanding priority over everything else. He is saying nothing, nothing is to be more important. Nothing in your life is to receive the worship that is due his name. 
he is saying if he is the supreme God who rules over everything and is in control of everything, if he sees everything, if he knows everything, if he possesses everything, then he alone must possess your heart. How do you know? How do you know if God possesses your heart? How do you know if he has first place in your life? Some helpful things that the word teaches us. These might be subpoints to this point. First, if the Lord possesses your heart, you love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? How do you love him? You are to love him with your whole being, with everything that you are, holding nothing back. Giving God all of your love. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with part of your heart. No. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on what? Shall be on your heart. That is where they begin. That is where they must begin. Let us not think of our love like a pie that gets divided. How might we divide that pie? Well, let's cut my love pie here. and Well, the biggest slice was going to go to God. And then the next biggest slice, I'll maybe give to my wife. The next biggest slice maybe to my kids, so on and so forth, however you determine it. Our love is not to be like that. God gets the whole pie. He gets all of my love. And when I'm loving God with my whole being, with all that I am, then what? Then, and only then, can I really love my wife the way that she should be loved. Then I can really only love my children the way that they should be loved. Then only I can love others the way that I'm supposed to love others when God has all of my love and possesses my heart fully. And his love, this love towards him is seen in obedience. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We are those who show the Lord has first place in our lives by our love for him. Second, we show the Lord possesses our hearts if we fear the Lord, you will fear the Lord if he possesses your heart. You will have this reverential awe of God, a proper fear of God. This is one who knows and understands the Lord corrects, reproves, disciplines those whom he loves as a father so disciplines his children. It is our fearing the Lord that leads to us serving the Lord. I love what it says in Joshua 24, verses, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. You hear what Joshua says there to the people? Fear the Lord, and if you fear him, then what? Then you're going to serve him, and you're going to put away all those other false gods. You're going to put away anything else that would get in the way of fearing him or serving him, and you're going to give your heart to him. 
the only way to live with wisdom, isn't it? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you fear the Lord, then you will be wise to walk in His ways. So we will love the Lord, we will fear the Lord, but also if the Lord possesses our hearts, we will trust the Lord. How can anyone or anything have first place in our lives if we don't trust them? You cannot say you're devoted to God and not trust Him. You cannot say you are faithful to Him and call into question His faithfulness. God does not ask you to trust Him a little bit. He wants all of your trust. He wants you to completely lean on Him, to put all of your weight upon Him. Think about what Proverbs 3 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. The Puritan Thomas Watson says this, to trust anything more than God is to make it a God. Do you trust God? With everything, in every way, at all times, without wavering, do you trust Him? What is it that you wouldn't trust God with? What is it you'd say, God, I trust you in a whole lot of things, but I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling with my child right now, who I love. I'm struggling to trust you with their lives, to give them to you. God, I trust you in a lot of things, but I'm really struggling with my health right now. I feel weak. I feel discouraged. I don't know if you're going to make my body better. God, I, I'm really struggling with this relationship right now. All these other relationships, well, they're fine, but this one, I just, I don't know if I could trust you with it. Where is it where you won't trust the Lord? In what circumstance? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We love the Lord. We fear the Lord. We trust the Lord. We also delight in the Lord. If the Lord is going to have first place in your life, you must delight in Him. You must enjoy Him. He must be the desire of your heart. Desire Him above everything else. Listen to these verses, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isaiah 58, 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, the law is in the, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Why does the blessed man delight in the law of God? Because he delights in God. Because it's there that 
he knows God. It's there that he finds God. It's there that all of his desire is satisfied in God and in God alone. What else will satisfy? Isn't this the heart of what we're talking about? There are a whole lot of wells in our world that you could drink from. But there's only one well, one water that satisfies. Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives the water that satisfies. Nothing else. No other gods. Only Jesus. And so we delight in him. And this is completely contrary to how often so many people approach God. They do not come to delight in him. They come to use him. Let us not use God. That is how pagans treat their false gods for their own use, for their own benefit, what they get out of it. It's not how we approach the holy, infinite God. We come to delight in Him. You think about that as we gather on Sunday mornings. Why are you coming here? Why am I coming here? Why do we come together? Come here to delight in the Lord with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Because I go out there six days out of the week and I'm fighting to delight in the Lord. I'm fighting to delight in Him. But when I come in here, I see my brothers and sisters and I hear of what the Lord is doing in their lives and we worship God together and we read from His Word and we hear the Word preached and we sing the Word and our hearts again are revived in delighting in the Lord. And isn't that then worshiping the Lord? I mean, that's what it comes to, right? If we're delighting in the Lord, then finally we are also worshiping the Lord. We love the Lord, we fear the Lord, we trust the Lord, we delight in the Lord, and we worship the Lord. This is what happens when the Lord is first place in your life. You recognize in your heart that He is the one true and only God, and you herald His praises, you serve Him, and you live for His greatness and for His glory. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Is that what happens when you worship God? I'm ascribing glory that's due His name because His name is above every other name. There's no name that's greater than the Lord's name, and I'm going to worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. Think about these things. How do we know if the Lord possesses our heart? Do we love the Lord? Do we fear the Lord? Do we trust the Lord? Do we delight in the Lord? Do we worship the Lord? If I'm honest, I look at this list and I say, I need help in these areas. I can't do this on my own. 
The heart maybe wants to, but the flesh is weak. Yes, we need help, and so I pray that these next two points, these next two truths will help us grow in these areas. So number two this morning, there is only one true God, and you are not Him. There is only one true God, and you are not Him. Here is where the Israelites and we are confronted with a hard reality. You are not God. I am not God. How often do you need to remind yourself of that truth? How much of your anxiety, worry, angst, fear would dissolve away if you actually believe this? How many troubles could be avoided if you believe this? Could it be that we have to hear the voice of the Lord in these words say, you shall have no other gods before me, including yourself? Isn't this what man is prone to? It's what we see in the Bible. Man wants to usurp God. Man wants to show his greatness. Man wants to make a name for himself. Man wants to steal the glory that is rightfully God's for himself. And when we come to believe that there is one true God and that he is the only one that we are to bow down and serve, it results in humility. James 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Do we regularly humble ourselves before God? Do we come before Him submitting ourselves to Him? Do we come into His presence not for what we can get out of it, but because we seek to give ourselves to God? Our God cannot and will not be manipulated he is not a God like the gods that this world creates where you need to seek to manipulate him with what you do with your deeds. I mean, again, we're, we're saying there's no such thing as black magic Christianity. Do you know what that is? Let me give you an example. It's like you were going down the road and you get a flat tire and you would say something like, I just knew this was going to happen today because I didn't have my quiet time. Like, your quiet time was going to make it so that you didn't have a flat tire that day. Like, I appeased God with my quiet time, so I shouldn't get this flat tire on my car. What happens then when you have your quiet time and you get a flat tire? We cannot control God. Manipulate Him to get him to do what we want him to do. God is in control of everything in our lives. And we humbly submit to him. Think about the prophets of Baal. You remember the prophets of Baal? They went up against Elijah, right? On Mount Carmel. And they had a little competition. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah said, okay, prophets of Baal, you go ahead and you call on your God to Cast fire down from the sky and light up this burnt offering. 
And what did the prophets of Baal do? They called out to their God all day. In fact, they get so desperate, they start to cut themselves, trying to get their God's attention, right? And Elijah mocks them. <laughs> I love this. There's some humor in God's word. Elijah calls out to him. He says, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's on a trip. Or note what else this is. Maybe your God's relieving himself. Maybe your God's in the bathroom right now and can't come to your aid. And then what does Elijah do? They're in a drought. The land is in a drought. They haven't had water for a long time. And he says, dump buckets of water on the altar. Do it again. Altars filled up with water. And Elijah prays. Simple, quiet prayer. God sends fire from heaven. God cannot be manipulated. What are you trying to do to get God's attention? We sang a song today about God's will being done. That's how we have to come to the Lord. Your will be done. Not my will. Not what I want. Your will, O Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you respond when God's will is not your will? Are we willing to submit? Or do we resist? Do we run away? Or do we run to God? The best thing, when, when God's will is different than your will, run to God, trust Him, and reaffirm your love for Him. God, I trust you in the midst of this, and I love you, and I know that you will care for me. There is only one true God. You are not Him. Finally this morning, number three. There is only one true God, and you must sacrifice all other gods. There is only one true God, and you must sacrifice all other gods. I'm reminded of a, an event that happens in the book of 2 Samuel, you can read about it in 2 Samuel 15. David's having problems with one of his sons, his son named Absalom. Absalom conspires against his own father, King David. It's there we read that Absalom used to rise early in the morning to stand beside the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And he was looking for people who were coming into the city with a complaint. And Absalom would call out to them and find these people, and he would say, what city are you from? And they would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom would say, see, your, your rights are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice." And it says there, God's word, whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Hmm. 
Interesting that David's own son would betray him with kisses. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel that came to the king for judgment. And then it says this, So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. What does this event have to do with this first word? Isn't this an apt description of what these other gods or so-called gods do? They want to steal our hearts. They try to divide our hearts. They try to sway our hearts away from the Lord, but our hearts are to be given wholly to the Lord. There is one true God who is to have all of your heart. If you give the Lord only part of our, your heart, you have not obeyed this first word. It is all or it is nothing. It cannot be God plus a false God. It cannot be God along with some other God. It is either our hearts given completely to God or else we haven't understood God and we haven't given ourselves completely to Him. We have to see the personal attack that happens if this word is broken. Do you see that? You shall have no other gods before me. This is a personal attack. If you bring in other gods, if you try to worship other gods, it's a personal attack and affront on Yahweh. It's waging war against His glory. It's bringing something else, something detestable, into the light of His holiness and His glory. We could think about it this way. The Lord is saying, do not bring any other gods into my presence. That's where the Israelites were to live. That's where we are to live. We are to live in the very presence of God. God says, I will not tolerate it. I will not accept it. I will not have a people who are divided in their hearts. The Bible gives us a picture of this as well. In 1 Samuel 5, there's an event where the Philistines and the Israelites are having a battle. And the Philistines win, and they capture the Ark of the Covenant. And what do the Philistines do with this Ark of the Covenant? Huh. Do the victor go as the spoils? We're going to take the spoils of the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to put it in the temple of one of our gods, a god that was named Dagon. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, they put it here in the, san in the sanctuary of their temple, along with this other idol, this god named Dagon that they worshipped. Then they went to bed. The next morning they come into the temple, what do they find? The idol, Dagon, has fallen face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. Must be a coincidence. Let's set the idol back up. Stand it back up. All right, good. There he is. They go to bed again. What happens the next day? There again is the idol face down on the floor, except something different now. His head and his hands have been cut off. Try to bring another God into the presence of this God. Whatever other God you think you're worshiping, this God is going to overcome that God. He is going to conquer that God. 
that God has no place in the presence of the almighty, infinite God. This is even what Jesus says, isn't it? In Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so our hearts cannot be divided. We worship God and God alone. We cannot even desire worldly things and desire God at the same time. And let's look at one more event. Mark chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17, and, he was, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What does Jesus expose in this man's life? He says, here are all these commandments. Have you kept them? What does the man say? Yes, all these commandments I've kept from my youth. What does Jesus expose? He hadn't kept the very first commandment. there was another God in his life. A God that he did not want to part with. A God that he would not give up. A desire and craving that he would not let go. He would not worship the one true God. And look at how Jesus transforms the first commandment. What does he say to him? Go, sell all your possessions, and what? Follow me. If you want to worship the one true and living God, how do you do it? You only do it through Jesus Christ. You only do it because of who he is. He is the one who brings us to the Father he is the one, even now, as God, who accepts worship. And so, how does Jesus transform this 
It's now those who follow Jesus who are worshiping the one true God. It's the one who give everything up to follow him, who sacrifice their lives for him, who take up their cross daily and follow him, who know that they are then having no other gods before the one true God. And think about what, what he's asking us to do. Sacrifice all other gods. Sacrifice all other false gods, all other gods that call for your allegiance, that want your heart, sacrifice all of them, kill them, put them to death. How do you do that? How are you able to do that? You are able to do that when you trust and believe that Jesus Christ was the one who sacrificed himself on the cross. When you believed that amazing love that Christ showed through his own death and resurrection Amazing love, how can it be that thou my what? Thou my God shouldst die for me. Our God died, and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, was buried in a tomb for three days and rose again from the dead so that he would have all of our hearts and there would be no other gods. There would be no other well to go to. There would be no one else to worship but him and him alone, and he could do it as the perfect sacrifice. Do you remember what Jesus says to Satan when he is tempted in the wilderness? Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus is the one who sacrificed so we could sacrifice all of those false gods, all of those other cravings, all those, those other desires that we might have, all of those things that might get in the way of us worshiping the one true God. And why did Jesus do it? He did it to set us free from all other gods. He did it to set us free from our enslavement to sin and death. He did it to free us so we can worship God the way that we were designed to worship God, the way that we were meant to worship God. He did it so that one day all of us would be gathered around the throne, and that we would sing this new song to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And as we hear those words, our hearts say with the four living creatures and with the elders, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would use it to instruct our hearts this morning.
as we think about this question, who do I worship, it would be clear. We worship God and God alone. Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Father, if there's someone here this morning who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the day would be the day they see it. They've been worshiping something else. They've been worshiping other gods. That could even take the form of something good, Father, that they twist and distort, build up in their own minds and hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us to evaluate if there's anything in our heart or our life that we desire more than you, that we crave more than you, that we're giving ourselves to more than you. And I pray that we would put that God to death, that we might worship you and you alone as we follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. 